Confession that heals. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Chapter 12. Conclusion. I failed. I have failed. As I sit here thinking about a recent lapse, I realize I have a lot of work still to be done on my journey to becoming an inclusive leader. It was months ago when I was recruiting co-collaborators for this book. I was watching the news on June 27th, sitting on my couch and eating chips. And I heard a comment by a national political figure. It was during an event honoring Navajo veterans. When the political figure turned the ceremony into a juvenile sideshow comedy act, he said, you, motioning to the Navajo veterans, were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who has been here for a long time, longer than you. They call her Pocahontas. The national public figure was insulting Representative Elizabeth Warren, who is claimed to have Native American roots. I can't lie. There was part of me that when I heard that racial slur, subconsciously laughed. There was something in me that connected with that visceral, debased, immature, and insensitive joke. Was it implicit bias? Maybe it was my middle school days when we, the black male students, would wait for the public school bus and crack jokes on each other. We would use all the creative genius and brain power we could muster to find new and innovative Yamama jokes. It was the middle school kid still inside of me who was never taught the trail of tears or how alcohol and gambling has been used as a weapon to decimate indigenous communities. The middle school kid in me who never listened to the narratives of Native Americans who were hurt by the name of the Washington pro football team. The kid who never heard about the genius of the Navajo code talkers who in 1942 developed the only code for battlefield radio transmissions that was never broken. I failed to be a mature adult. In that private split second of chuckling, I failed to be compassionate, inclusive, and thoughtful. Here I was teaching teachers and executives how to be more inclusive. And this mean and selfish part of me wanted to laugh. It was an attempt to normalize laughing at someone else's expense. I said to myself, but my failure was private. No one had to know. I could just sweep it under the rug and not spend time reflecting and critiquing myself. But that thought was wrong. What I needed to do was to be critical and expose myself to the shame of failing. It's only when it hurts that I can become more vigilant 
and intentional about guarding my mental processes and removing my subconscious and sometimes race-conscious sense of humor. What makes my action shameful to me is that Elizabeth Warren is one of the few heroes in Congress who not only understands the damage racial division has to our country, but she's also not afraid to call out white supremacy, bigotry, and racism. Elizabeth Warren was story silenced by the Senate, who voted 49 to 43 to admonish and effectively bar her from speaking during the remaining debate for the nominee for attorney general. Warren was escorted out of the congressional hearing because she read aloud a letter from Miss Coretta Scott King, indicating the racial discriminatory past of the nominee for attorney general. Warren's rebuke is an example of what happens when racially deaf ears refuse to story listen. My lesson. What I've learned most in the journey of piecing this book together is that I'm not perfect. To be blunt, I'm far, far, far away from perfection. As Paul writes, I'm the chief sinner. In fact, I realize I'm so imperfect and in so many ways don't have it all together that I need help. Not human help or help that comes from natural resources, but I need supernatural help from a supernatural resource. I need God's love. Without the love of God in my heart, I can't even come close to walking, living, and sharing in this beauty of collective humanity. We fight off in perfection to work towards the collective recognition of truth, which is the story we hold within our bellies and refuse to tell. I have found that there is a sort of freeing feeling that comes from being honest. There's a euphoria of peace that can come from laying it all on the line and sharing your heart. It's akin to the first feeling you had when you saw that person you were falling in love with and mustered up the courage to say, I love you. That emancipating courage that told you no matter what response I hear, I've spoken my truth. I've opened my heart for love. If we can be somewhat satisfied with the imperfect, if we can coast on the seas of our emotions long enough to not get offended, then maybe just then we can reach that place of peace and unity that we felt when we first entered this world, blind, dependent, and dripping wet. Maybe we can recreate the stillness of that moment and embark into the sunshine abyss of true inclusion, the place where the concept of the need for inclusion is foreign because all we require only to exist and to be who we were born to be. This book's lesson. Through the process of listening closely to the voices of people with disabilities, people of color, 
international students, people who identify as LGBTQ, and others, we can begin to reform our own mindsets. While creating spaces of inclusion, it's also vitally important to disrupt racist structures. For example, schools, government agencies, the media, exclusive cultures, which maintain and recreate inequity. An effective method of disruption is to create new multicultural alternatives through entrepreneurship and nonprofit creation. Then network and link like-minded critical conscious organizations through team building and story listening activities. I need to become eager to listen to the story of a person I may see now as a competitor. After a real conversation, we may move from competition to cooperation and achieve an even greater result than ever could have been accomplished alone. History shows that impactful solutions often come from those who are rarely at the decision-making table. This book used multiple voices, multiple lived experiences, multiple reflections on race, diversity, and inclusion in an effort to change the ways in which difference is conceptualized. One of the most effective tools I used to cope with racism as a young adult was to read Frederick Douglass's slave narrative. Through reading his life story, I was able to layer my personal narrative on top of his to see myself in his struggle for freedom and education. Reading the life story changed the way I thought about racial inferiority and altered the ways in which I interacted with schooling and my pursuit for knowledge. In closing, in closing, educational reform, corporate inclusion, and increased equity in public agencies all begin with critical self-examination, testing for implicit bias, arrogance, and the need for superiority and control. Each member of the team should take an internal audit of his or her thoughts motivations and actions. Each group member should ask themselves probing questions such as, do I create a space for others to honestly tell their stories? Am I vulnerable and honest storyteller? Do I truly trust and care about people around me enough to eagerly listen to their stories? The internal storytelling session of every stakeholder can create an inclusive mental space for repairing relationships. Let's look at an example in education. Inclusion occurs when the recondite fiber of a teacher's heart is touched when listening to the life story of their most disruptive student of another race. Then the teacher listens to another story without judgment and interrupting. Each story enters the teacher's mind and begins to serve as a counter story to previous stereotype or racial joke. 
The more stories the teacher hears, the more this new collection of stories begin to counterbalance the decades of stereotypical comments and lessons from racially biased family members, teachers, and friends. It is this new collection of counter-stories and spaces of inclusion that the real humanity of each person can shine bright enough to make real teacher-student connections. When we're honest about our thoughts, emotions, and backgrounds, we may initially feel uncomfortable and vulnerable. Over time, these risks, quote-unquote risk, will be outweighed by the honest story listening we receive in return for our honesty. Change doesn't come from mandatory diversity trainings and intellectualized debates. Real and lasting change is cultivated through caring relationships. And these relationships are forged through the vulnerable sharing of stories. Then in the work we do together, we create new stories of trial, triumph, and testimony. When we seek to create new stories in an atmosphere of inclusion, we eagerly story listen and exchange honest storytelling after we've provided psychological air and sincere silence. Finally, story listening can help diverse groups live at peace. President Obama's challenge to presume a reservoir of goodness in other people is the first step in story listening. By starting from a place of love, of positive expectations, it opens the door to listen. After eagerly listening, this new data will help the listener to learn new information. Then the listener leads by example, incorporates this new knowledge to make collaborative, innovative solutions. This collaborative space creates a new language where inclusion is the normative and ideas can flow with more freedom and compassion. The end result of operating in this new language of love and inclusion is to live at peace. Love, listen, learn, lead by example. New language of inclusion. Live at peace. This has been the reading of Inclusion, the Art of Story Listening by Dr. Derek Drakeford. Read by Derek Drakeford. Thank you for listening.